We Have Issues is a weekly podcast full of reviews of comics and oversharing. We use grown-up language to make very childish jokes. You can find the show at wehaveissues.net, as well as anywhere else where average to not too bad podcasts can be found. listener welcome to episode 124 of we have issues uh it's uh, nick here uh, i can be found on twitter at nick site n-i-x-s-i-g-h-t um i'm gonna keep this really really quick because uh, i'm kind of trying to keep quite a low profile i'm sort of hiding from some uh, comics activists who have uh i think they're ex of gamergate and once they won america with trump uh by you know by roughly supporting from the periphery, sort of leading from very much to the side um, the, the, the charge to get Trump uh, elected and now finding themselves a bit less less relevant and, and important. Uh, they've looked across and seen the uh, liberal uh, utopia that comics are and always have been, the, uh, the, uh, the, the way that uh, comics, the comics mainstream, well, just comics in general has... has uh, created over the last 40 years this really welcoming and nurturing environment for for women and uh, diverse groups you know minority groups and marginalized people they looked over and 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 they've seen that it's just a mess of uh, those people getting everything they want all the time and being treated really well by the mainstream publishers and they've decided they're going to do something about that and uh and uh following uh, the audio you're going to listen to in a minute. I got a bit curious about these guys and and sort of tried to start a conversation with them and didn't go quite uh, quite according to plan. And 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 it's quite difficult to deal with these people once you're in a conversation with them. Um, you have to uh, click on uh, once you realise they've not really got anything uh, interesting or insightful to say to you. You have to click on their profile on Twitter. And then uh, you have to go to their profile and you have to mute them, which is a lot of hassle. And I'd like to avoid doing that. So I'm trying to keep quite a, uh, a low profile. Um, so what I'm going to do is uh, earlier in the week, I was very lucky uh, in that I got to talk to uh, my friend, David. It's always nice to spend time with David. I actually ended up talking to him for about four to five hours, maybe uh, over the course of this week uh, uh, online. That isn't all this uh, that isn't all for this show uh, we did talk about harrow county and the sixth gun specifically um which uh, i'll be sharing with you in a minute but yeah if you like david you can find him on twitter at david uh, david win i think it's just his his whole name david win uh, no uh, underscores or hyphens or anything like that um as i said i'm nick site n i x s i g h t you can listen to previous episodes of this podcast at wehaveissues.net you can talk to the show on twitter at issuespod uh, we're on facebook uh, we're on facebook as uh, the other 10% as well actually which is the uh, the site that um hosts this and if you want to support us specifically at the moment me in my uh, in my rush to uh, ev- evade the um, righteous 
uh, activists who 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 I'm worried are going to start singling me out a little bit. Um, you can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash TOTP and, uh, and, uh, financially supporting us a little bit. It can be as little as a dollar a month. Obviously, I say as little, that sounds reductive. It's a lot of money, uh, for a lot of people. Um, so we are very grateful, uh, for anyone who, who is willing to do that. Anyway, I'm going to pass you over to David and I'm going to be over here in the corner trying to keep quiet, not cause any trouble. It's, I feel like we've had our abuse stuff and it's ongoing and, um, it's ongoing. It hasn't really been dealt with. But so when all of the movie industry, um, sexual abuse stuff came up in the last couple of weeks, I felt very much like, I feel like comics already had this covered. It's the same thing as when Gamergate happened and I was like, we don't need the Gamergate people to come and look at comics. We've already got our own version of those. There's loads of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean, they, they're coming after all. But, um, but yes. yeah. Yeah, I don't... Yeah. What's... Is it just a weirdly... A, a weird attempt to organise something that's already been going on? Or are they a new... Have they have they vacuumed up the... That's the Cometgate thing, isn't it? That I, I think I saw last week. Um, um, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a, 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 a combination, right? There's, there's definitely, like, there's definitely people involved in that who are the same old people who've been around forever. But it, there's that diversity in comics guy. There's a, a YouTuber oh, yeah. who's a failed writer, um, who's, who's decided to try and, organize something and he's also brought in um he's brought in your more sort of uh just all-round alt-righty nerds um so there's someone called vox day who i oh god that guy well he's like he's writing a comic and and um or or he's financing a comic or something and but then chuck dixon is writing something for these guys as well so, so it's a combination of complete newcomers, like, like, cause one of the, the thing, you know, things that the people I follow on Twitter were sort of laughing about was Vox Day was talking about comics and, uh, didn't know who Jack Kirby was. Didn't, not, not just attributing yeah. wrong things to him, but just straight up did not know who he was. And so they were like, oh, you see, you don't even know about comics. But I'm like, but they've got Chuck Dixon and you can't say Chuck Dixon doesn't know about comics. He's just an arsehole. No. Like, but he's been an asshole forever. Like, he's, and he's, you know, and I grew up reading comics by him. He's, he's, I can't say, oh, oh, he doesn't really know comics. No, we, we have these dicks. So, yeah. It's great, isn't it? Well, not only, uh, not only do we have them, but I think it's fair to say that although, although I haven't really gone back and reread loads of that stuff, people, like Chuck Dixon was pretty formative. In forming our understanding of what comics could comics were in the eighties, wasn't it? Like he did lots of Punisher, and we read a lot of comics really... by him, didn't we? <laughs> I de- I definitely did. Like I was a fan. I, I remember, um, mm. like he was one of the names that I would look for on stuff. But it's it for me. It's it is kind of fascinating. There are like two streams of creators that I was into as a kid, where I go mm-hmm. back. There's your Anna Sentis, 
and your 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 Denny O'Neills and like that that stream of creators where I go back and I reread their stuff and I'm like, oh wow, they're even better than I realised at the time. You know, or Louis Simonson mm-hmm. or you know, or even Chris Claremont actually. Um, like I go back and I, I mean I actually wasn't a, wasn't that big of a Claremont fan as a kid and I'm more so now. Like go back going back and reading that stuff and uh, and seeing what they were doing that I wasn't picking up on and how great it was. And then you've got your Chuck Dixons and your Mike Barons and and um, and your John Byrne, who I loved. I loved those guys. I, I like I was really into them. And then going back and rereading their stuff and being like, oh, this. Uh, I was a kid. <laughs> I was a child. The children <laughs> are stupid. There's a there's a sort but, of a, ver- a version of justice that teenage boys feel that it's perfectly nor it it's it makes perfect sense that a particular strand of teenage boys would feel that way, but we are supposed to grow out of it, and I think that's yeah. the thing, isn't it? Chuck Dixon, well, the Punisher is a character really, but Chuck Chuck Dixon's work in particular it appeals. It's not even necessarily a bad thing that it appeals at a gut level to. It's most of those eighties action movies and revenge flicks and stuff play into that same adolescent um sense of justice that you are really supposed oh. to grow out of. Absolutely. I mean, to be fair, actually I included Mike Mike Barron in that list and that's not quite fair. Um because I think um rereading Mike Barron I just kind of realised that just he was just doing something very different from what like um, his stuff's got a kind of camp to it, I think, that I'd never picked up on as a mm-hmm. kid. Um, but I mean, he's he's definitely not he's not in in Anasenti's league. It, um, the Punisher is an interesting one for me because I've I've read uh, I've read a ridiculous amount of Punisher, um, um, both as a kid and then going back as an adult. And it, but it's just, it is really fascinating reading like Stephen Grant Punisher, and then reading. Mm-hmm. Mike Barron Punisher and Chuck Dixon Punisher and reading the those sort of Stephen Grant is so much smarter <laughs> than those other two guys like and the character is the same and the mm-hmm. the world is ostensibly the same but Stephen Grant is a man who understands that the Punisher's broken and and that this isn't you know that that he's a tragic figure in a way that I just don't think um, Baron or Dixon really do. Both of them are like, yeah, he's great. And, and I'd kind of quite like to be like that if I could. And, as, yeah. and no. <laughs> so, yeah. It's whenever people have him wisecracking too much, or not wisecrack. Whenever people make him too cool, I flinch from it a little bit. When Garth Ennis... Um, when Garth Ennis writes him, he's pretty. There, there's lots of humour around him, but he's pretty much a blank slate a lot of the time himself, isn't he? The character, I think. Absolutely. Well, yeah. maybe I haven't read enough Garth um, Ennis, you... but it's so. Sorry, go on. No, that is how it, that is how he writes him. I was going to say, are you reading the current one? Is, uh, Garth Ennis is right. He's doing a, a a Vietnam one with him at the moment, uh, drawn by Goran Goran Parlov. It's very good. Oh, I think I saw that. The art looked amazing. I haven't, I haven't actually read it. No, and I haven't read any of uh, Becky Cloonan's run on it either. But um, I, Garth Ennis is one of those writers who I still really like him most of the time when I read him. But I feel like I've read so much of him over time 
that um that whenever i whenever i read anything new by him except that crazy thing about the dogs that came out from avatar um that that was a weird comic but uh i i feel like it his stuff's almost too familiar i need to go away from reading any garth ennis for a few years and then go back and read some of the newer stuff i think um i can see that yeah and none of it's ever Hitman, is the thing. So, I loved Hitman. I bet if I went back and read it, I'd just be appalled. <laughs> appalled at it. I bet there are moments of glory in it, but, um, that edgy, that sort of, what was edgy a few years ago is just embarrassing sometimes now, isn't it? I don't know. I, yeah, well, I, I know, like, when I reread Preacher now, there's, there are whole chunks of it where I'm like, Things that I thought were brilliant in the nineties um, uh, that I, I look at now and I think I was again I was a child and children are stupid <laughs> you know I was just I was an old yeah. child but but like the you know a lot of the stuff with Arseface is actually a, it's actually not that funny a joke anymore like when you think about it it's actually just, and and then and the you know the he really does like doing his. Uh, rape played for laughs stuff quite a lot and and things like that i i am um, yeah it it can be quite difficult i i find his i i do find his more recent work a lot more palatable because i think he's just kind of calmed down a lot himself as a mm. i don't know i didn't read any of that six pack stuff that he did at dc with john mccray recently though because i knew i just knew looking at it, I was like this isn't my sense of humor's in a different place now and and this is not going to land for me but um he just, you know when he's doing war stories with Goran Parlov I'm always going I'm it's always going to work with for me I think he did, he did um uh uh Fury Max series a couple like a year or two ago and that was really good as well and it it just you sort of look at it and you're like, oh, is this going to be... I mean, it's Garth Ennis writing manly men in manly man situations. And you mm-hmm. read the first issue, or I read the first issue, and I was like, is this really... I'm not, I'm, I am not. don't know about this. I don't know if I'm going to care about this. Mm-hmm. Like, the yeah, art's lovely, but I just... Uh, do I connect to this? And then the second issue comes out, and I'm like, I need to read that now. <laughs> and, and, and there's something... I was talking to a guy at work about this, actually, the other day, and just said... He doesn't read comics very much, but he's read Preacher, and he's uh, saying like the thing with Garth Ennis is, um, you know, for all the other trappings, there's no one who kind of creates living, breathing characters as effortlessly as he does. Like I, I, I just I believe in his characters in a way that I, I, there isn't. I say I don't think there's anyone else who can quite do that for me. Yeah, and we're definitely within a certain range of characters as well. But yeah, I think I, I agree with you. He, he tends, he tends to be good at, he tends to be good at a range of characters that fit into the sort of, uh, mo- the mold of movies that I quite like as well, though. Sort of, um, I know it's a bit hacky to, uh, relate relate to movies too much but when you said that i was thinking do i agree with that and then i thought well i can i can definitely when i if i think of other other things that have felt like garth ennis writing 
I think of maybe True Romance or um, some of the some Shane Black stuff where he's definitely got a a formula or he's definitely got a mode or a model of characters and relationships that he's quite comfortable with. But every time he iterates on that, you 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 do fall or certainly I do fall for those characters and I do I I have absolutely no trouble believing them. Does, does that make sense? I was going to say Shane Black in particular is a really good comparison, actually, because it, I mean, you can, you can, uh, you can, uh, uh, just assemble a Shane Black script from a list of tropes, except that you can't because you, you, it, because it is this thing of it, it's two, two people in a, in a life or death situation that starts with a woman dying in a sexy way and ends mm-hmm. at Christmas. And, and there's a smart mouth <laughs> yeah. kid. Like, there, there, there's every single one of his, all of them fall into the, to this particular set of cliches. And yet it's the, it is, he, he creates, they live entirely on the basis of the, the two characters at the center, the two people being mm-hmm. smart with each other throughout the film. And, and he makes you care about them and, and click with them. And it's, yeah, that's exactly what Garth Ennis does, isn't it? It's that he always does a, there's always a, a, a broken man who, who is just can't help but being a monster and knows he's a monster seeking mm-hmm. some kind of twisted justice in an awful situation. Uh, you know, and, and blah, blah, blah and fill in all the other Garth Ennis cliches. And yet at the end of it, it I, care in a way that you yeah. just I shouldn't but I do is it are we I, I, yeah are we I, I think it's really funny that we we uh, got together to talk about a particular comic and we've been, ended up talking at length about the Punisher and Garth Ennis yeah <laughs> should, I, I think it's men of a certain age <laughs> yeah I think that's a good idea <laughs> I think men of a certain age um, are always gonna like <laughs> <laughs> It's it's like infinite, infinite monkeys will will create the work of Shakespeare, and men of a certain age will talk about the Punisher and Garth Ennis. Yeah, oh, always, uh, and if not that, they'll get stuck on a Quentin Tarantino loop. But thankfully, I've grown out of that particular thing. I think <laughs> so. That was judgy, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, Harrow really Harrow County. Harrow I County I did. I mean, I. I, I should yeah. I shouldn't have I, said it. I shouldn't have said it, Nick. And ignore it. It was no, a drive-by comment. Ignore it. We don't. I'm we sorry. don't need to talk about Quentin Tarantino for twenty minutes because <laughs> we because okay. we will. <laughs> but there is Let's no way that about... motherfucker didn't know. All of those motherfuckers knew. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, probably yes. <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah. So Harrow County. Um. I, cause I, I read, I read the first book of this a really long, well, not a really long while ago, cause it's only been coming out for two or three years, hasn't it? I think. Um, and did you say that, did you say that you, that prompted you to, to pick it up and read it as well? Or were you on that before Um, me? I'm not sure. You were on it first. The reason, what, what Mm. happened was that, like, you talked about it on, on, uh, whichever comic book podcast you were doing at the time. Uh, it would have been Probably this one. we have. We have <laughs> issues. Okay, cool. Um, so you talked about it on We Have Issues I th- more than once. Like, you talked about it more than once, and it had... Mm-hmm. 
that had settled in my brain of oh that's one of the comics Nick reads and it sounds good but I've never I I don't think of myself as a horror fan really mm-hmm. and 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 that does carry through like I was going through the comicsology horror sales that like this weekend like and looking through for like oh is there anything I want to get and there isn't very and there isn't very much that I'm desperate to get actually but um so yeah horror is not really my genre but it always sounded intriguing and um Carla McNeil like you'd mentioned that Carla McNeil had drawn uh issues of it and obviously that always is going to tweak uh, get my interest and then I think it was on sale it was on a comicsology sale a little while ago and I picked up like the first year or so of it for like 70p an issue or something and so kind of binged through that and then I've not I've not been able to stop reading it since like I keep I, I again I do tend to wait for sales and things but I am I I I am one issue behind in terms of reading it but I bought that mm-hmm. issue today before we started talking so like it's there on my Kindle for me to read in bed tonight. Um, it really uh, grabbed hold of me. It's, um, I think it's the world of it really sort of sucked me in. Which again, that's not normally a thing for me. I don't. I'm not. I'm not that fussed about world building, and I'm not. Um, and I'm not that fussed about horror. But there's something about this particular one that really works for me. It's uh, it's interesting you say that. Yeah, it's um it's interesting you say that because I read the first arc. So it's what what would we call it? It's set in is it Dust Bowl era America? I'm really lousy with details on things. Um in a small like in a small rural town or a county called Harrow County um in the mm. US and um, without going into too much of the too much of the world building, it follows a young girl called God. What's her name? What's the main <laughs> character's name? I I can't remember. <laughs> See, I've That's got terrible, all I've got it? in my head is Esther because there's there's lo- there's lots of voiceover in it, or not voiceover, but there's Emmy. lots of um, Emmy. Yeah, um, I've got issue one who... open in front of me. Who lives lives in lives on this little farm with her dad, um, away from the rest of the town, and in the first arc finds out she's not uh, that things aren't necessarily what they seem. But the whole thing is steeped in witchcraft, and well, it it seems like it's going to be a story about um, rural, like old old world rural American witches, doesn't it? It fits into that whole sort of American gothic-y... Using all these terms, I'm throwing them out as if I know what I'm talking about. It fits into that sort of American <laughs> gothic-y um, like cornfields, witches and creatures in the rows uh, sort of setting and then quickly becomes... The world quickly becomes way more complicated than that. Or not more complicated, more expansive than that. You think it's about witches and then it it, yeah, it becomes much richer than that. I think very quickly. Um, yeah, absolutely. And in the first arc as well, you meet uh, you meet her Emmy, and you also meet her friend. Who see? Uh, I okay. So my relationship with 
this book was I read the first arc. I, while I was while I was catching up earlier on, I realised this is basically how I am with lots of books, so it is worth probably digging into. Um, I read the first arc and absolutely loved it because it was this like just it was very character centric. It was about uh, um, it was a very sort of pure story. Uh, following this character who's, uh, instantly, um, likable and you root for her very, very quickly. She's very sweet and her relationships feel very, um, real and sort of quite, uh, uh, emotional. And you find, you go through her first sort of realizing everything is everything is different from how she imagines it and that's the part of a story that i always find it really easy to get into um and really easy to connect with and i really love it but for most people i think that's when that's what hooks them in and suddenly they just want to know more and more about this character but uh this character in this setting but for me it's like you said about not really being that into world build uh that into world building um the the next arc of nearly anything where the writer and the creative team have like decided well okay that that was us establishing it and that was our cool sort of um uh story where anything could happen that's the thing about that first arc literally anything could happen and then in the mm. next arc and subsequent arcs what we're going to do is we're really going to dig into uh, dig into the world around them and what what that all means there isn't that much discovery after that initial point but also it's like um and even and this this is this isn't really dismissing any writers i don't think or anything even the the very best writers i it i tend to find that the arc after the first one and and all of the rest of the arcs are, are very much that they feel more of a sort of a practical exercise to me always um because okay. they are starting to talk about continuity or myth mythology or or they're building up from that, like from that initial premise where literally anything could happen to these characters. You know, you're not finding out about their backstory or anything like that. So I tend to get tired very, very quickly part way through the second arc of almost anything. And I think I did that a little, and it's not like I don't stop liking the thing. It's just, it's more difficult for me to get excited about it. But when we were talking about, talking about this, I went back and caught up. So I've read I've read about fifteen issues of this today, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, and I it's I quite I quite often shit, find, it? yeah, it is, and I quite often find that, and I'm very aware that this is my problem because I quite often find that when I do go back to something like I have with this, it was stupid of me to, it was stupid of me to, um, uh, put myself like to exclude myself from it because it's so good and the character's still emmy's still even though she goes through a lot of changes and she learns a lot about herself um i don't mean uh coming of age stuff i mean she literally learns loads of stuff about herself yeah she does um and who she is literally who she is um it's still the same character she's still uh 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 incredibly um easy to sympathize with and you still don't entirely know how she's going to turn out because she does change a little bit, but never so much that you're just, this is how this character becomes this. This is how this guy who's a, a chemistry teacher becomes this criminal mastermind or any of that stuff. 
it's um it still feels very organic and and it's so pungent like the the horror elements and the environments and everything that's the artist that's not necessarily the writer but the whole thing just feels really rich and uh and very real and gross and i don't know it's it's <laughs> so good <laughs> it's really good I, you say something about it it. well I, they, well i'm i'm glad you talked uh, how you did because you gave me lots of things to jump off from like i mean yeah what what you it does have this kind of consistency to it that's really fascinating because if as you go through like eat pretty much every arc completely changes the status quo of or mm-hmm. not actually that's not that's not the right way of putting it it changes the nature of the story the nature of what the story is actually about changes about every six issues like mm-hmm. every is you know you thought it was about this now it's about something else uh, actually you know at the moment it's it's kind of it's almost go, going into like it's about gods or something or, or although actually in the late that actually this current arc not so much maybe is the arc before although yeah it's it's weird how it does that like how it keeps it goes from being this very close little rural uh thing with only a few characters to then being oh well actually it's kind of about everything and then but then it comes back in on that well no actually it's just and but that consistent there there is that strong feeling of consistency all the way through like it, i think it would feel really chaotic normally for for a series to be structured the way this is but because of tyler crook's artwork like that, that he I, I think part of why i keep coming back to the series actually is his art because it's so um uh he's got a style that that i think some people would see as a being a bit cartoony like which some people see that as a bad word i think that's a good word personally but he's got that it's quite a simple um stylized sort of way of drawing but then with really gorgeous watercolors in a much more um traditionally painterly style so that the backgrounds it looks like what we think of it's a bit uh, i don't know i'm trying to think of a good comparison like it's a bit studio ghibli in in some ways yeah like it, it, um but it but with this strong feeling of like the american deep south probably or rural america anyway i don't know if it's the south or um, it's it's funny because you were saying about oh is it dust bowl era or is it, and i i don't think we know when it's set and i don't think we know actually where it is either it's just it's rural America sometime in the past, but it's quite um it's actually quite pointedly non specific, I think, in the same way that um um uh, I'm I'm I I'm losing an example that I'm uh, uh, like criminal. If you read criminal, that's set in the city. Oh, yeah. But actually you never find out where criminals actually set. In you know, Brew Baker and Phillips' criminal comics. It's the same sort of thing with Harrow County. Like Harrow County, I don't think they ever say what state it's in, and so it could be, it could be, it could actually, it's probably south because it seems to be quite warm. Anyway, I'm getting, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going off on a tangent about about that, but the, the, that lack of specificity is is interesting. 
But they um, I'm losing my thread. It's terrible. The, the... No, it's. I mean, it's. Uh, I reserve the right to. I reserve the right to go back and edit all of this if we later find out that it says <laughs> in the first issue on the first page what year and location it is. But it does feel kind of arch- especially for Brits. It does feel quite quite arch- archetypal, doesn't it? It's um, the the location and the setting. Well, and. It's it's definitely not set in a real place. We find that out very very well. It's definitely not set in a place that really exists. We find that out uh, quite quickly, uh, which isn't. I don't mean it as a spoiler. I mean it's it's not like an actual town that's really there that yeah. is placed historically in in time. There are elements of the story that make that kind of necessary necessary to be vague about that anyway. But um, see, yeah, I. <laughs> And I guess I don't, I don't know accents or anything, but some of the characters talk in a way that I just associate with generic rural America of a certain time. Um, but then at least one character seems to be talking in quite, with quite a Cajun, um, accent or cadence. So it's sort of, I don't, I don't know to what extent that's deliberate, whether the writer's got a particular place in mind or whatever, but, it also plays around with, you know who it, the art, art wise, the thing that I keep thinking of while I'm reading it is Jill Thompson, but I think that's the painting. I think, yeah, that's the way it's, that's war- a good, well, she, I mean, she also has that very, um, or can have a very, uh, sort of stylized way of drawing people and things as well. So, so I think that, that's actually a very good shout, very good comparison. Certainly, um, thank you. <laughs> Certainly, I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time. It's possible that there are loads of other artists it looks more like, but that I'm just not really aware of them. And it keeps reminding me of, is it Peter Snedge, is it Peter Snedgeberg I'm thinking of? There's a whole school of artists who, who do that cartoony, that sort of, uh, that way of drawing faces or facial expressions or eyes or whatever, where the eyes are sometimes just dots, which I think is ties into what mm. you're talking about with the cartoon cartoony nature of it but that at the same time have uh, everything does have a weight to it and the lines are quite thick what the police brothers are kind of like that as well but peter snedgeberg has the tidiest version of it and well and carla speed mcneil's art looks it's a perfect fit when she does a couple of issues the the style yeah you don't miss tyler crook necessarily <laughs> it's Although you wouldn't, because it's Carlos Speed McNeil, I suppose. Um, <laughs> the the rendering looks a little bit different. The watercolors, I don't think it's as watercolory when when she does, because I think it is she. I think I, Tyler I, Crook I does the lettering and. The, uh, let me have a look. I I don't think he does the le- yeah he does do the lettering. Okay, yeah, so he literally does all the visuals on his issues. Um, the yeah, Car- uh, Colin McNeil, I think, is coloured by somebody else on her issues, and it's com- and mm-hmm. it's digital colouring on her issues. It's done. It's done in a style that um, that f- fits in with the rest of the series, but it's not watercolours. Whereas Tyler Crook's stuff is like you can tell it's proper. I mean, I've also seen uh, process stuff of his online, but like you can tell when you look at his work that it. It, you can sometimes you can actually see where the papers buckled a bit and things like that. So oh yeah, it, so like it, it's one hundred percent real watercolor, um, and you don't 
get that. It, 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 I, I, I'm, I, I don't, I never want to sound like one of these, you know, people who's anti-digital because I love digital, lots of digital artwork, and I, I'm not against it in any way. But there are certain things you cannot achieve, or that you just don't achieve with digital work. You, you probably can fake those particular effects, but they're just not natural byproducts of it, the way they are with analog yeah. uh, techniques and. Um, and he really knows how to work with that stuff. Um, I mean, the the person he makes me think of most consistently as an artist actually is actually a, quite a different artist from him, but it's another guy who really uses watercolours quite well. Um, and whose name I now can't remember. Is it, um, is it Scott Campbell? Um, he did a graphic novel called The Upturned Stone, and he did... Um, uh, he did a, a Batman Elseworlds thing where Batman is uh, Dr. Frankenstein. Um, I'm sure it's Scott Campbell. He's a, a he was he's a, a watercolor painter anyway, but he he has a much more sort of uh, realistic way of, of drawing people as well. But so so it's kind of it, it's this marriage of the very the kind of Mignolaverse stylized artwork with that Scott Campbell painting it's 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 incredible and the consistency of it then is what holds this very chaotic sort of story together i think it it really gives you this strong sense of place in this place that is not a real place with with these people that are not even real people but that feel completely alive and it's um and it's so creepy and that's not so much his it really art, is the things that I like. I'd, I, we've been very carefully not saying anything specific, but I think, but it's kind of within the first couple of issues, you are introduced to Emmy's. Um, the the best word would be familiar, but it's not an animal. It's a boy. It's a little boy with no skin, except that he has <laughs> got skin. Like she carries his skin round in a bag, and. It, and and the skinless boy follows her around in the bushes everywhere <laughs> and and they're both the same boy but they are independent of each other and she can send the skin off to slither off and do things for her and and it's just oh it's such a creepy i weird and horrible idea and and but weirdly and, and cute just, though as well yes <laughs> yeah. which just makes it worse <laughs> It really is. It really is weird because the skin talks to her out of the little box. Um, I don't in think. Like yeah. sort of, I, I don't. In like a like a hiss language, doesn't it? it, it I, I seem to think like I maybe I'm maybe I'm adding that to it, but doesn't it have have like lots and lots of s's and things in the the way it talks? Or is there, or, or yeah, I, I think I, so. Well, certainly that's how you hear it. You hear it as sort of a rustling sort of. Um, Although it wouldn't, because it, it'd be wet and flappy, wouldn't it? But yeah, that's how that's how I um, I always imagine it as quite rustly, sort of dried out skin, sort of. It's, it's weird. This comic, I I'm quite, I've become quite jaded anyway. And there's an extent, there's a level to which I don't feel stories and writing the way I think you're supposed to, or I think the way most people do. It's quite difficult for me to emotionally invest in stuff. Um, uh, especially now when almost everything you read reminds you of something else. It doesn't mean I can't enjoy things, but mm. I don't, 
I don't uh, I don't worry about characters. It, that, that especially happens with TV, where uh, like I think I think I might have said in the last episode actually. Um, whenever we get to the end of a series of something we're watching, and uh, a bunch of characters we like are in. Uh, are in uh, jeopardy at the very end of a, a season, and my wife spends uh, my wife every time we think about it, she uh, think about that show. She sort of says, "Oh God, I'm really like, why would they do that at the end of the end of the season? It's awful." And I'm always just there going, "Yeah, it's contract renegotiation season. That's that's what that is. Uh, the people who the people who can't nail down their contracts, they they'll die in the next episode. That's how that works. So I'm I'm maybe too I'm maybe thinking too much about the creative decisions people are making when when they're making them. Um, but, but with this, I was very conscious that there was a, there was a sequence where she, she sends off the, um, uh, and it, it's very vague about like, you, you know, the, the, uh, world building isn't explicit, really. You don't really know what mm. characters' capabilities are beyond what you've seen them do before. So, um, I was aware while I was reading it that there was a scene, where I can't remember if she sends him off, but the skinless boy goes off to do something and it might be quite dangerous. And I had this sudden thought, oh, I'm really worried about the skinless boy. <laughs> like, oh no, what if something <laughs> happens to him? And I know you're supposed to feel like that about things, but I'm saying that it's rare for me to feel that way about, about stories. Um, I know, I, I, I think I know, I, I'm possibly for different reasons, possibly not, but I think I do know what you you mean because I I'm very much the same when I'm reading things. I'm very um analyzing why certain decisions were made and 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 I I I I do emotionally invest in characters, but I kind of have to make a a, a lot of the time I have to make a conscious effort to do that. Like, a, like mm-hmm. no, I'm 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 going to enjoy this. I'm not just going to dissect why it's like this, you know, I'm, or why why this is good. I actually, you know, I will I will care, you know, <laughs> sort of thing. And yeah. it's but it's quite natural with this series. I, I I don't have that's one of the things. It's kind of I read it thinking, well, Nick really likes this, and but I don't really like horror, and and I've not read anything by the, either of these guys before, and. But you know, it was cheap. Oh, I got it in this. Oh, I'll give it a go. And then, and and it did kind of do that thing of because I binged a whole a, a, a load of it, and I, I made it sound like I then was was buying every. I there was a there was a a gap. There was a period where I'd binged a lot of it, and then I was kind of done. And mm-hmm. and I thought, oh well, that was nice, but I'm not going to read any more of that, obviously, because I'm not really into horror, and I'm I don't really know those creators yeah. that well. There, but that's that comic is good. I might look out for. And then the you know, and then I found myself going back and being like, no, I do, I I do, I need to know what happens. <laughs> I need to know what happens yeah. to the skinless boy. I need to know. I need to know about Emmy and her friend. I can't remember her friend's name. Bernice. I've looked it up. Names. Bernice. Ah, there well, we that's go. that's. I think that's age yeah. as well. Yeah, probably. I think. Um, well, and the the other thing I find is as as we as time as we I don't know if it's because we're getting older or if it's because the world seems to be constantly on fire and time's passing remarkably, like <laughs> things keep happening all the time. But I didn't think it had been that long since I'd read an issue that had just come out of this, and I looked and and. Okay. I clearly haven't checked in in 10 months, which is, and that happens with books a lot at the moment, actually. Um, it happens with me with quite a lot of comics. So the amount I pick up and then 
like think oh, I've got to read the next one and then it's five months later and I've totally forgotten um so the, yeah but her name's DC's, Bernice oh, okay I was going to say it's DC's double shipping does that to me like I'm I'm, I'm having to um, cut out a lot of DC books actually because of um they distract from other things. It makes you forget about other things because they, they just pile up so yeah. fast. But anyway, that's off the point. Yeah, the, the relationship between Bernice and Emmy, I think, is the thing I care about the most in the series, which is interesting because it's not always that big. It's not always the main focus of the series. Like, it sort of, that comes and goes. But, but, um, it's definitely, like, I really, care i find myself really mm. wanting these two young girls to be friends it's really important that they stay friends <laughs> and yeah and, and it's like and there's so much more at stake as well that's what's really interesting like in the story like the fate of 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 a lot more than just two two young girls friendship is at stake and yet but that's all i care about when i'm reading it is it is quite or not all, but that's something I really, really feel strongly when I'm reading it. It's uh, and and when I'm when I'm not reading it, you know, I find myself thinking about it quite a lot. Is um, have you read anything else by Cullen Bunn? I think I've read a few things, and I think he tends to write. Does uh, does he does he tend to write stuff that would like be quite good for a sort of an older teen and like. I think he has he has uh, lots of female protagonists and relatable characters and and stuff like that in his other books as well. But I can't think off the top of my head because he's also one of those he's also okay. one of those writers who his name on most things is like I know I'm going to get a good book, but I can't really I couldn't tell you what his writerly voice is like. I I would okay. normally think of him as quite workmanlike. So oh, did he do that Magneto series though? There was a really no good idea. Magneto series recently. Hmm. I, I, you see that this is the thing. I, I've, I've never read, never knowingly read anything else by him. And as I'm, you know, I tend not to be someone that picks things up based on the characters either. Like, I, I'm, um, you know, sometimes with Batman, like I might try mm-hmm. something d- without knowing who the creators are. But generally, I buy based on creator these days anyway, or on recommendation. Um. So I don't think I've read anything else, or I don't think I had read anything else by him. But because of reading this, and because of being, you know, running out of it, basically, um, mm-hmm. I started reading the sixth, the sixth gun, which, um, All right. which is interesting because I actually already had the first volume in my comicsology library. I'd picked it up in some sale at some point, and um, and I think I read like the first chapter and then never went back to it. Uh, but I'd picked it up because people had been talking about it. But then because of this, I've then gone, oh, well, actually, oh, he did that. I should read that properly and pay a bit more attention. And um, and I'm now hooked on that as well. <laughs> in the same thing. That's a really different, kind of that's really different though, isn't it? Because this, this book feels really personal, but what's The Sixth Gun about? Well, it's about, like, if... It, it's there's a lot. It's actually got quite a lot in common, um, but it is a, a different thing. It's, so it's about. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think how much to say of the setup without giving too much. So there's these six guns, right? Mm-hmm. And they're they're magic right, okay. guns. They're, they're, there's okay. these six magical guns, and this 
uh, and they, at the start of the series, they belong to some really nasty, bad people, bad, like, devil cowboys sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the sixth gun, there are five of them belong to these awful people, the sixth gun falls into the hands of, of <clears throat> a young woman, <clears throat> her father, sorry, excuse me with the coffin, that's not very good podcasting, mm-hmm. Her father, mm-hmm. uh, had been, you know, had been the keeper of the sixth gun. He dies. It becomes hers. It bonds to her. The only way anyone else can use it is if they kill her. Like, or if she dies, the next person to pick it up, it will bond to them. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then there's this other guy, uh, like a, a shady, uh, fella who's try who's also sort of gathering up all the guns but he he he's shady but he seems to be more on the good side of things and uh he and her become allied against the baddies and there's a kind of ragtag group gradually forms around them and like if i I'm, i realize i'm getting quite vague now because it's i understand um <laughs> Well, what I'm learning, what I'm learning reading that after reading Harrow County is that uh-huh. if there's one thing Cullen Bunn seems to like to do in his, certainly in his independent work, it's, uh, keep shaking things up constantly. Cause it's really got that right. kind of feeling to it. Um, and it's also, uh, but it's also got that supernatural horror thing going on. It's a different kind of supernatural horror. It's a, um, it's a bit more, it's a bit more Judeo-Christian, I suppose, although not really. Like it's um, um, actually that—that's yeah. Judeo-Christian isn't the right term to use, actually. In Harrow County, Harrow County's got this like rich mythology, but mm-hmm. none of its none of its mythology I've ever heard before or ever encountered before. Yeah. It's kind of very much in in its own world, and it. And all the more amazing because of it, because it doesn't feel forced or made up. It feels like, oh no, this is just some myths I never heard before, um, which is amazing actually when you think about it. But um, whereas in the Sixth Gun, I kind of I'm like, oh, I recognise that, and I recognise that, I recognise that bit of voodoo, I recognise this from you know that from the Bible, I recognise that from something else, and that it's much more. Uh, Stuff that you, that, yeah, it's, it's much more taken from real folklore. Um, mm-hmm. al- although it's from all over the place and kind of stitched together. Um, and, and it is very much like, uh, it's got that thing also that Harrow County has of like quite strong characters and relationships between those characters at the center of all this crazy shit that's going on. Um, mm-hmm. And it's also got another artist who's a, who seems quite cartoony, but is actually really, really good. Um, yeah, I, 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 it, I think it's a, it's an interesting companion piece, and I'm go- it's going to be in- interesting reading through it because I know it started a long time before Harrow County. There's like fifteen volumes or something crazy. I, I think there's I, nine so... volumes of the main series, and then a, a bunch of mini series as well. It sounds. Much more, and this isn't uh, this isn't speaking to the quality of it because it sounds like it's pretty good. Um, but it it sounds much more like the sorts of books that are coming out. Is it an image book? Did you say um, Oni? Is it an image? Oni. 
Oh, Oni. Oh, okay. Because it's like, um, it's interesting. So Harrow County sounds like it much might be a lot more. It, 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 even before you told me about uh, Six Gun, Harrow County feels like one of those personal, quite personal books. Do you know what I mean? It's like, so it is quite, even though the world is more expansive, the setting is, the setting is quite small and contained. The, um, the core of the book is a very simple, well, a very simple relationship. Well, there aren't that many moving parts to it. There's her and her dad and there's her and Bernice. And then there are other characters who interplay with that. Um, but it, it kind of reads like, it, it, it does read like a much more personal thing, whereas Six Gun sounds a lot more like, um, and it makes me think this might be where I know, why I know Cullen Bunn's name, but don't really remember much of what he's done. Um, mm. that would be a perfectly good pitch for a TV series or something. It's like a high concept pitch, really. The Six okay. Guns. Yeah. I mean, where, where and the execution sounds like it's probably, and uh, all of these things stand or fall on the execution, don't they? Really, but that's quite a big, high concept, and there's a lot, there's moving parts to it that like sound both new and interesting, and you could pitch them at people, but at the same time, they're quite, um, yeah, they're Campbellesque or uh, Joseph Campbellesque or archetypal or whatever as well. Do you see what I mean? Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the I, I guess the um, I'd counter that, uh, like, not that you necessarily need countering, but like, um, I, I I disagree that Harrow County doesn't feel like that on a certain level. I think, um, mm-hmm. in the sense that, like, because Harrow County to me just, it, uh, I think my initial reaction to it was, oh, it's another dark horse horror book. You know, all oh, right, yeah. Um, uh, it, it's it, it, it's kind of it's it's a, a young woman in a in rural America meeting strange things in the woods and learning that she has magical powers. That's kind. Oh of yeah, of pitch, course. Isn't it? <laughs> That's another archetype, and, uh, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and reading um, reading it, I have to admit, all the time. So often when I'm reading Harrow County, I think, oh my god, this would be such a good TV show. Like, in the right yeah. hands, obviously. But, but I'm, but that is a thing that goes through my head a lot when I'm reading it. And, um, so I think he might just be really good at those at pitches. <laughs> yeah, maybe, um, maybe. But that's the thing. I think there's a whole, there's a, there's a, uh, not, a, again, Glut sounds like a value judgment, but there are, there are two or three writers who, like, whenever I read something by them, it's really good, but they seem to generate, generate a lot of properties or generate a lot of content. Do you see what I, do you know what I mean? When I say that, it's like, they've got three books at image. They've got three books of image and each one's very different, but like, you can see what the pitch would have been or the, the, there, there are certain writers where I am, uh, I do feel like they're, they're really good at coming up with pitches and then they're competent writers and they write quite mm-hmm. a good little series based on that pitch. But I don't, but where I feel like what they were really good at was coming up with the idea in the first place and actually the execution maybe, um, 
maybe their enthusiasm goes away once they start working on it or something. I don't know. Like, the, but there are a few people where I, I kind of feel that way. Whereas, um, I think the thing that's striking me. I mean, this is based on reading two series by the guy, and I'm only two volumes mm. into Sixth Gun. So, but the feeling I strongly get is he's very good at coming up with these initial thing, you know, setups. But then mm-hmm. he he's got the he's got the follow through. Um, yeah, certainly Harrow County's got a, a there's a level of 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 just the ball just keeps rolling and and keeps going in interesting places like. Um, I, I would not have expected from the initial concept for this to still be as exciting and as interesting as it is now. And uh, and as I say, well, with Sixth Gun, it's clearly gone a long way. And and I know that for every, whenever I hear people talking about it, it's always people who have read the whole thing. Um, and I get so I, I get the impression it, it has a similar sort of staying power from what is to start with quite a simple high concept that should only have one place to go and and already but already in the second volume there's stuff happening where I'm like well this actually could go all kinds of places and um so I th- I just think it's I, I I'm definitely going to be looking out for his name a lot more than than uh I have done in the past or because I haven't in the past, I guess. I, what I, I do, I do wonder about this phenomenon, though. Like there is a thing that I've kind of observed over the years, and uh, and uh, I wonder if that it's it's a thing that's affected him. Of, um, it's a thing I first noticed it with Warren Ellis. I remember having a lot of conver- mm-hmm. conversations with people about Warren Ellis about ten years ago where mm-hmm. it was like me and the other person were talking about completely different writers and I gradually worked out it was because I was talking to people who'd only read his superhero stuff or primarily read his superhero stuff and right, I, yeah. whereas I was on it I was on the other side of a line where I hadn't read very much of it at all you know or not even his like his marvel stuff like specifically you know of and so people who'd read Ruins and read um, all the Ultimates stuff, uh, Ultimate Galactus and all that kind of thing that he'd done that I, I still haven't read, and had mm-hmm. a very different opinion of him as a writer. And, and and it's kind of a thing that I I I think happens to a lot of people, because I know Cullen Bunn's done a lot of stuff at, at Marvel, hasn't he? And... I, yeah, like mm-hmm. I say, I've not read any of it, so I've 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 no idea what he's like when he's working on concepts that he didn't create himself. But I yeah, I I do wonder, you know, there um, there's like a, a little crop of of writers where I I, I sort of eye them cautiously because I'm like I know oh you've done lots and lots of stuff at at Marvel or or wherever, and but I've no idea whether. A whether I'd be interested in reading that, and B whether you're any good, because just because also mm. just being good at writing, right? A kind of being good at a, executing a, an editorial mandate doesn't necessarily uh, mean you've got the stuff that's going to keep me interested as a writer. I think, mm-hmm. um, or that I'm looking for in a writer. I don't know. What's it? I mean, I, what's interesting as well is I think that. You and I, you and I were reading comics, probably a little bit before this was a thing, 
but we were properly getting into comics at the time when um like there are a lot of stylists there are a lot of writers who are stylists so as much yeah. as Warren Ellis is very diverse like what what he does is very diverse he does loads of different sorts of things he's got a very specific authorly voice and he can switch it off oh yeah and just he can <laughs> switch it off but but it's definitely there and Neil Gaiman's like that Alan Moore's like that Grant Morrison is like that although JLA some of the some of the JLA stuff that he did didn't it didn't really show through but he's got he's got a very specific voice and that and that's the that's the crop of writers that probably you know we 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 still read a lot and we read a lot of new stuff but that's the crop of writers we were pr- that probably made the biggest impact on us when we were mm-hmm. in the in our 20s or whatever where we're really starting to form how we feel about this stuff and a lot of the guys who are writing now and and women a lot of the people who are writing now although we know that there are more men writing uh, like getting published in comics than there are women and that's a whole other thing um they i i don't know i don't know if it's because um image has become an option or if i could i could very um dismissively or reductively say these are these are guys who've uh, who've uh, watched Joss Whedon and people like that you know they're like these are these are guys who are thinking about seven seasons of TV, but they're doing it in comic form. Or I don't really. I think that's really unfair. But like, they are the, there aren't that many really distinctive authorial voices. In when I read when I read newer writers, um, there's Rick Remender is uh, Rick Remender's very distinctive. Matt Fraction's very distinctive. Uh, but then there's a whole bunch of other people like Jay Ferber and um, I guess Jim Zub, although I haven't read much of his stuff, or Cullen Bunn, who, if you've read their comics, you will have really enjoyed them on a story basis. This is probably good writing, actually, because it's like mm. you don't really register who wrote them. <laughs> you just register whether you like the comic or not or could relate to the characters or not. And if you then went looking for the writer's name, you'd be like, oh, I might keep an eye out for their for them in future but you're not you're not thinking from the because you can tell I think for the most part you and I can tell a Warren Ellis comic pretty quickly into reading it can't we? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I was I was about to say something very very mean about people influenced by him, but I'm, I'm I won't do that while we're recording. Um, no, but, well, no. <laughs> but the. the I think the the one of the things that I do think I think maybe with Cullen Bunn, especially this might be a, a a thing. I think there's definitely a school of younger comic writer <clears throat> who are very much backing away from the uh, the voice sh- showing itself in dialogue because because mm-hmm. this was something I thought when you were because when you were talking about when you mentioned uh, Grant Morrison. Like I can tell a Grant Morrison comic for um, uh, uh, sixty paces, you know. Uh, um, re- and it's funny you, you said about JLA because I think of J- his JLA stuff as being quintessential Grant Morrison comics. But mm-hmm. but the thing about Grant Morrison is that his 
voice isn't really in the dialogue. Like it can be. Like yeah. there there is a you you can write Morrisonian dialogue, but his voice is in is actually comes through in the events of the story. And that there are certain kinds of things that only happen in Grant Morrison comics and, and things go a certain way in Grant Morrison comics that they don't necessarily in, or that they just don't in other people's comics. He has a, his worldview very much informs his work, you know, comes through really strongly in his work. And, mm-hmm. um, but his dialogue actually a lot of the time is kind of just generic comic book dialogue and not in the, golly gee whiz, pow bang, generic, but just as in just literally it's, it's reasonably naturalistic, but get, but mainly exists in order to service the plot, um, and, and be economical to tell the story dialogue that mm-hmm. just, you know, it's, it serves its purpose. And I feel like Cullen Bunn's, that he's, I think there is a school of writer who grew up at the same time as we did and, was reading a lot of Warren Ellis, was reading a lot of, of of other writers with these strong voices that come through in the dialogue and really make that stamp and kind of retreated from that, really mm. wanted to, to not do that. But they still have a voice, but, the, but it isn't, you know, uh, it's not creative swearing or, or whatever, or, or, you know, dream weaving or, or, whichever creator you want to point at it's it's much it's like i say it's in the events of the i i just feel i I guess i feel it quite strongly with bun from having just read two things by him side by side and being like these two things feel so similar despite being quite you know quite different in terms of like that one's about children mainly about children the other's mm. about adults one you know the set at different times with drawing on different you know they they've both got a supernatural element that and they're both set in america and that's kind of all they've got in common you know and in the past mm-hmm. um but beyond that they're very, they're so different and yet there's this i've i've they feel like companion pieces really strongly while I'm reading them, and like, and but it, but yeah, it's got nothing to do with the dialogue. It's all about pacing. It's all about theme. It's all it's all that kind of thing that comes through. Um, it may, uh, Garth Ennis actually also comes to mind for me because again, you can you can write NEC dialogue like he does those amazing monologues and, and all of that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. actually, most of the time, Garth Ennis dialogue is just simple dialogue that tells the story um yeah maybe that maybe that's the the character thing maybe that's the secret to making people care about the characters is giving you a fucking chance to forget that that it's um you know someone you follow on twitter uh writing it yeah writing them i think uh what what you i think yeah what you say there is while you while you're saying that about um you being able to basically see the voice in the in the sorts of well i'm extrapolating but the sorts of things that these people are good at i was thinking of dennis hopeless who most of his stuff everything everything i've read of his has a really similar sort of lightness of lightness of touch to the dialogue but really um sticky sticky characters that you care about and at the same time Mm. what i was thinking was 
the Grant Morrison sticky characters. This is a bit weird thing to say. Um, the, <laughs> the Grant Morrison dialogue voice I'm thinking of, it doesn't really, it's from Zenith and St. Swivens Day. That's, that's what I'm thinking of. He hasn't done that since <laughs> the early nineties. <laughs> Not really. He kind of, yeah. I mean, ba- basically it's a very, I love it. It's what we grew up with. And even Warren Ellis played with it a little bit in Lazarus. There was a, a sort of writing that they were all doing in Blast and in Deadline and stuff like that, where they weren't, it, um, they weren't interchangeable. They all had their own styles, but it was very self-indulgent and. Oh, yes. Like sort of pop influenced or whatever. Um, and now that I think about it, like my favorite, my favorite exponent of it was always Disraeli. Who isn't even really known as a cartoonist <laughs> in his own right anymore. He's known as an artist, like, but he doesn't really write anymore. Um, no. But the, the stuff I liked about early Grant Morrison, no, not, uh, cause Zenith doesn't really count, um, in this. But the thing I really liked about Since Riven's Day and Kill Your Boyfriend, that was him as well, wasn't it? Was, was yes. stuff that evoked Philip Bond and Disraeli in, um, in Deadline. The, the stuff that I really loved yeah. there, I I wouldn't have necessarily liked. I wouldn't have necessarily fallen so hard for Warren Ellis if I wasn't already used to Disraeli's work and wanted to see more of that. Because yeah, Lazarus no. Churchyard. Go on. No, I said as much as I, I I said Lazarus Churchyard, but I didn't have anything to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I was I was going to say it's probably true for me as well because I think um, because I was already aware of like my first encounter with Warren Ellis's work. I think was in Blast magazine writing Raz- Lazarus Churchyard, which I read because I was already a fan of Disraeli from Deadline, mm-hmm. and um, oh, he did a thing. Uh, do you remember uh, there was an anthology series that was was called A One? It was an American yeah. like prestige format. I can't remember who it was published by. It might have been Epic. It might have been Tundra. It, I, but it was like a nice little book. With but it was an anthology. It had covers by people like Glenn F- Fabry and and stuff. And it and he did a story that ran in one of those that I. Uh, A1 was one of those things where I never managed to get all the issues, so I have no idea whether the story mm-hmm. was any good. But I loved his work mm-hmm. in there as well. And um, he, he's the people he's that got those books those. got in them were amazing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, and his his work has always been so distinctive and so um, kind of uh, not give a fucky, you know, um, mm-hmm. that he's. It's just like, I am going to draw like this and fuck the rest of you, <laughs> sort, sort of feel in his work. And I just, um, and the thing I, I remember, the, the thing with Disraeli that I always, that always stuck with me, it's such a stupid little stylistic thing, but in, in Deadline was that he used to write around, write little rants around the borders of his pages. Oh, yeah. So, like, so, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed that almost like the I loved looking at the 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 story. There was a story about a guy who'd been who was he was he'd made a deal with the devil or something. I think there was something like that going on. Uh, it I was very confusing. Tim Miller, it was called. Yeah, 
Tomb of that's it, yes. I remember enjoying it. Timulo, yeah. And then, and then reading the rant round the edges and not really caring about the actual story and the, <laughs> the panels. Yeah. Just reading him rant, ranting about what was, uh, whatever was on telly or, or <laughs> it's like, it's such an odd thing and, uh, but so sort of distinctive and memorable. But yeah, and then, um, I'm, I, yeah, this is a, an odd little rabbit, rabbit hole to find ourselves going down. So we were going to talk. <laughs> I know. For to- we were going to talk for twenty minutes about Harrow County. <laughs> it wasn't going. It wasn't ever going to happen, was it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did want to say should... the the one. Oh, go on. I was going to say the mm-hmm. one the one thing I wanted to say about um the the and I failed to and it probably doesn't fit now. But the relationship we were talking about between uh, the main uh, character in Harrow County and Bernice, her friend, is. Mm. It's kind of tragic because um, they're, they're set at odds with each other quite a lot, even though they're still friends, but it never really feels forced. It's just a natural, um, it, it, it is kind of a natural progression from, uh, I can't remember her name. What was it? L? Ellie? Emmy? Uh, Emmy. 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 How yeah. can, how can we be this Emmy. bad at this? Um, <laughs> Uh, it it comes from Bernice being there when bad things happen to Emmy in the first storyline, or she finds stuff out about her. And Bernice goes off for a few, and it, it it's quite real feeling that they live in this they live in relatively close proximity to each other, but just lose track of each other because Emmy's got her own shit going on, and then she'll bump into Bernice, and Bernice will have gone on this whole like journey gro- journey of growth herself and be having this whole other bunch of experiences and stuff that set them completely odds of each other and also you said about it being creepy and one of the other things that never happens is i actually do quite like horror but books okay. and comics they just have never really scared me i like the imagery and uh the the um uh meatiness of uh, horror imagery and I, I like some of the ideas that come out of that, those supernatural settings and stuff but it never really scares me and in okay. one of the later issues where Bernice and Emmy are with each other there is it's kind of it's almost a throwaway idea although some of those do come back later on uh, there's a they go to a house and Bernice wants to show her something in a house <gasps> and she gets her to look through a keyhole and I <laughs> legitimately freaked out I might be thinking about I, I, that when I try and go to sleep later. <laughs> I I was lying in bed reading that, uh, and and I I this is fucked up. I ha- I actually had to turn to Amanda like stop her reading what she was reading and and tell her <laughs> what I just read and show her because uh, like, yeah. like I had to get it out. I had to share it. <laughs> Like and and that that's yeah. really that's kind of cruel because she was like, "Why are you telling me this now?" <laughs> <laughs> but um, well, it's a very yeah, no. That was such a creepy idea. Is that they they go to the house and and there's a hole in the wall and they look you look through the hole like there's a big hole in the front of the house and you look through the hole and you can see the main room and there's nothing mm. there. But then if you look through the keyhole. <laughs> There's a yeah. kid crouching in the a room. Terrifying, <laughs> terrifying kid. It's actually it's a, it's a, a beautifully designed moment. Thinking about it, because like it it does 
it's designed to put you i hadn't really thought about it but you are looking through the keyhole the way the art's laid out and everything you're looking through the keyhole so when you turn to amanda if you were reading it on your own in the middle of the night there's going to be that moment when you're the reader going is this kid looking directly at me so yeah, telling the person absolutely. next to you is the smart thing to do because that <laughs> oh, contextualizes it in a way that it's not just you dealing with it but it's um it it's very and the thing about the the thing about the world building in it it feels very post i i shit on gaiman an awful lot partly it's just that like it's because sandman's never going to mean as much to me now as it did when i read it initially and i'm uh-huh. angry with him because of that for some ran like totally irrational reason but it's very much the mythology in it is very if it, it feels kind of post gaiman but it feels much more organic it's like a lot of people have taken um sandman and books like that well mainly sandman and they but they're doing much more natural things with it um which you know that's not because sandman wasn't good sandman was amazing but it's been a a long time it's been those ideas have been sitting with people a long time that sort of mix of archetypal characters and and weird pantheons weird modern pantheons and stuff like that that's all out there now and it was probably out there before gaiman like put it in sandman really um but yeah, p- parts of the world he's creating there feel very post, post Sandman. But I agree. I agree. Completely different. I, I, yeah. I I was I am um, I was I was going to say it. I was actually thought about saying earlier like that it um it I, it makes me think of the endless specifically in certain places. Mm. Um, like I I look. I mean it's. We're talking about a comic. We kind of have to say things like there. There is a pantheon in the story that kind of does feel a bit, a bit like the endless. Then they're not as. Um, it's kind of. It, it feels like they, the bun sort of took everything that was good about that, and rather than just going with like the surface ideas of what makes that. Ah, so it's a a, a a a set of seven gods that represent particular Id- No, that's not what it is, is it? It's but it's here's some figure. You know, they 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 don't represent clearly tang- defined things necessarily, mm-hmm. but they do feel like like um like something like like. Like a, a a real pantheon, they they do have that oddness yeah. and that, um, and that and that they are distinct from each other, representing different aspects of the world in some way. But you but you can't say, oh, this one is about lust and this one is about you know, it's not so much that thing that's going on, and um, it's yeah, I'm, so it. it he captures that mythic quality and that feeling of, of of what makes them important without um getting caught up being pretentious about it and then having having it have to carry like great portent and importance for for the life of the reader because that i think i always mm-hmm. feel like that's the, the that's where gaiman 
falls foul, I think, is that um, because of what he likes to talk about, um, that I think a lot of people come away from his work or or go through his work feeling like it should teach them something, which yeah. isn't what he's doing. Like I don't think that's what Gaiman's really doing. I think he's he's just he's more sort of psychoanalyzing himself almost on the page a mm-hmm. lot of the time. Um, but the way it's all presented, I, it feels like it's trying to impart an important lesson about life to you, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and especially if you're going to do something, whether you've got, uh, struggles between desire and death and despair, you know, you are going to think, oh, well, should I, does this mean something important? You know, what's he saying? It's here? just a fucking <laughs> comic. Yeah, exactly. And it's just a fucking yeah. comic is what all he's saying is, mm-hmm. give me your money. I'll entertain you for five minutes. Whereas, mm-hmm. um, when it's the, you know, Malachi and I think one of them's called Malachi and that, and then, and yeah. a, a weird bloke who, a, a weird cannibal bloke, uh, and, and, and a, a strange invisible person and like, and, and, and they, they live in a house that is there sometimes and isn't other times. And like, it's much more sort of, yeah, you, you no, you, you don't need to. You don't find yourself thinking about what they represent. You just find yourself wishing they'd go away. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> definitely. They, they are. Yeah. They are very. I. It's uh, that's that is one of the things I haven't said actually. Is is um the the because the it's the Carla McNeil issues that kind of focus on them to start with, and kind of introduce mm-hmm. the concept of those characters. And the the Carla McNeil issues don't tend to have Emmy in them. And that's an interesting thing because I um, find myself wanting to get through those to get back to the the Tyler Crook issues, which considering weird, how much I yeah, considering how much I love her work and you know and go on in public about how much I love her work and you know uh, that's a weird feeling for me to be like yeah 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 look I, I need. She's a genius, yes, but look, I need to get mm-hmm. back to Emmy. I need to know what's happening. And, and those issues are so creepy. They're so creepy as well. Though, like those yeah. issues are some of the scariest ones sometimes. I think uh, what we'll do is we should we should come back and talk about it in another twenty five issues. I think it's really good, isn't it? Should have mentioned Guillermo really del Toro. Good. I feel like we should have mentioned Guillermo del Toro. Oh, he'd do. He would do it so well, wouldn't he? He'd, he'd really do. Yeah. like a good job. Like. But again, I think it needs to be a TV show, and he'd he'd make it into a yeah. Show. And I I, yeah, I think would. yeah, I I I kind of feel like because I do as I say I read it and I find myself thinking oh this would be such a great TV show and then I think yeah but I just want it to be a comic I just want it to carry on just being yeah. a comic but that but on the other hand I'd also quite like um them to be rich <laughs> yeah, yeah or at least definitely. I'd like I'd like them to you know to make a living from from the comic and that might be the only way so i don't know it's always lovely to talk to david uh, you should uh, look him up and uh, uh, just keep an ear out for him he's on loads of our previous episodes as i as i mentioned earlier you can find those at wehaveissues.net uh, i will hopefully get to speak to you soon uh, as long as we don't get shut down uh, by a, a, an enlightened mob Thank you for listening. Goodbye.